Another pot of coffee is brewing and I've just finished my fourth cup of the day. I am not going to be giving up caffeine again for a while, even though I have stupidly just ordered the wrong coffee and when it was delivered I realised I really didn't like it. All that means is it's time for another episode of Not Before Coffee. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, film addict, TV show marathoner, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and very honest caffeine fiend. This week I am back with the penultimate episode of Jennifer Aniston's season, and it's another one that has similarities to the others I've already talked about so far. I already know that the last film of this season is going to be a big one. In fact, it's likely to be the one that most people immediately associate with Jennifer Aniston, especially when it comes to the romance genre. So if you want to guess, or you have any guesses, please send me a DM post a response to the tweet that my promo will be in or send me a message over on Instagram. I'm open to any method of communication. The film for this week is 2011's Just Go With It. His heart recently broken, plastic surgeon Danny Maccabee pretends to be married so he can enjoy future dates with no strings attached. His web of lies works, but when he meets Palmer, the gal of his dreams... She resists involvement. Instead of coming clean, Danny enlists Catherine, his assistant, to pose as his soon-to-be ex-wife. Instead of solving Danny's problems, the lies create more trouble. I can't help but notice that in the three films that I have watched so far for this season, weddings have been a very common theme. It's 1988. The bride is wearing a hideous 80s concoction in ivory with big balloon sleeves, as were the fashion courtesy of Princess Di. And the bridesmaids are in dusky pink. One of the bridesmaids is Danny's sister, a girl with an unfortunately large nose. Clearly, she is confident in her appearance and ignorant of the insults. Or perhaps she just doesn't care as she is used to them and they're water off a duck's back. Danny is listening as his bride is telling her friends how things are going to be once they're married. Initially, he seems okay with it. And then she starts to tell her friends how they're going to see his family as little as possible because they're unbearable to her. As with almost every Adam Sandler film ever in existence, he has something physically unusual about him. And in this case, it's a rather large nose, one that is much too big for his face, a nose that his sister also happens to have, as does his father. Danny is not happy with what he's hearing, especially when she reveals that she has him well-trained and that she slept with her ex, Eric, the night before the wedding. And the only reason she's marrying Danny is because he is sweet, has a good future ahead of him, because he's going to be a cardiologist, and she doesn't really care for him. She also refers to his nose as a zucchini, or courgette to anybody in the UK. 
At the bar, following walking away from his wedding, a stunning woman played by Minka Kelly walks in. She sits down at the bar and Danny tells her he was married for six years, which he definitely wasn't, that his wife was unfaithful, that he is hardworking and he can't leave her because of the numerous children that they've adopted. I think he mentions 15 at one point. She falls for the spin of lies and at that moment he discovers exactly how powerful the wedding ring can be. We see him through the years as the ring works. He changed his specialty and became a plastic surgeon and also had surgery to reduce the size of his nose. Over the years, he's become incredibly successful both at his job and at having repeated one-night stands. It's the present day. We're at Danny's practice and he's having a conversation with Catherine, played by Jennifer Aniston. She's his office manager. She's super efficient and also clearly a really good friend that he can confide in. Danny's cousin Eddie shows up at the practice. He's the only other person who knows about the game that Danny plays with the wedding ring. He likes to get involved, but as with a large number of rom-coms, to be honest, especially from this particular decade, he's the token vulgar character. And of course, he had to take advantage of his cousin's career and had a penis enlargement. There you go. There's his story for the entire film. That evening, Danny's at a large party on the beach held by someone who has had way too much plastic surgery. His face can barely move and he can't even swallow water. The host's son injures himself, distracted by a beautiful blonde who happened to walk by and caught his attention. Danny, being the kind man he is, stitches him up and when they come out of the bathroom, he bumps into Palmer. They bond as they talk about everything he believes she must be an actress because of how she looks, but she surprises him by telling him that she's actually a sixth grade maths teacher. She moved to LA because she was fed up with being in the middle of her parents' toxic relationship, then divorce. We get the cliche romantic scene as they get to know each other on the beach. The sound of the crashing waves, the beauty of the golden sands, the moon in the background. That said, though, this is not the only cliché in this film, but it is the first. They spend the night together on the beach, and she has to leave the next morning. He tells her to call him and get his card out of his jeans. So she picks them up and goes through the pockets where he said they would be, and she finds the wedding ring. Understandably, having already told him that her parents had a very acrimonious divorce, she is furious because she doesn't want to get in the middle of anything and she doesn't want to be involved with a married man. Danny denies that it's his, but she's so angry at the discovery that she just doesn't want to listen to him. And to be fair, I don't think I'd blame her. I mean, granted, he isn't married, but he has been telling this lie for so long, it was bound to catch up with him at some point. At work the next day, when Danny tells her about the party and meeting Palmer, Catherine tells him that he's an idiot and that she knew his lies were going to catch him out one day. <laughs> of course, why wouldn't they? Lies do tend to catch up with a person. Before they can say much else, Catherine's children, Maggie and Michael, arrive with their useless babysitter, Rosa, who spends all her time playing games on her phone, so she's paying so much attention to her children. Maggie is played by a very young Bailey Madison. 
and very early on reveals her character is that of the classic drama kid. She puts on a really bad fake Cockney accent when she meets people. Oh my God, this accent is just so bad. I can't do, I can't do a Cockney accent, but I can't do accents full stop. Apparently, she wants to be the next Hannah Montana. If that's her idea of acting, then seriously, she doesn't stand much hope. But remember, Bailey Madison is quite a good actress. However, she's playing a bad one in this. Catherine's son, Michael, who is played by Griffin Gluck, is so cute. He's trying to be grown up and says that he watches Californication when Danny asks if he's like his sister and watches Honey Montana. Of course, Catherine is horrified at this because Californication is not appropriate for children. And when they reveal that they are able to watch these things because Rosa leaves them on while she's talking to her boyfriend, I think I'd be rather angry at Rosa but maybe she just needs a babysitter and Rosa is the one she can afford. Apparently Michael wants to go to Hawaii to swim with dolphins and this does come up a few times throughout the film. Knowing that Danny is rich and also that he helps children he asks if Danny will take him. Despite being a bit of a jerk when it comes to his relationships with women Danny is actually not a bad guy. He does work for charity, including operating on cleft lips and things like that, and clearly has a good relationship and bonding capabilities with children. This is the moment when we get the first hint that there was someone unpleasant in Catherine's past with the name Devlin. Michael needs to go to the loo and tells everyone that he needs to do a number two by saying he's making a Devlin. At that point, we don't get the explanation, but it does become clear later on why Catherine chose this particular term when she was referring to her children taking a crap because she didn't want them to say that any longer. Danny is desperate. He needs advice about what he should do when it comes to Palmer. He thinks that this could become serious, so he really does need to figure things out and get things clear in his head. Danny is a man for big gestures and turns up at Palmer's school with a massive bouquet of flowers so that he can explain the whole marriage thing. He takes her into a classroom because the crowd of children outside who are yelling things at him, including, I believe, fornicator, which is a rather unusual thing to shout at from, from a child's perspective. And he tells her that his wife no longer talks to him. They're getting a divorce and the entire marriage is horrid. Palmer then feels guilty, believing that she is the reason his marriage fell apart. But he reassures her, clarifying that the marriage has been over for a long time and that his wife, Devlin, cheated on him with a man called Dolph Lundgren. But not the actor. He tells Palmer that the only way he can be happy is with her. Of course, Palmer has to throw a spanner in the works and tells him that the only way she is going to believe him is if she gets to meet Devlin. Danny is now stuck. He doesn't know what to do. He's never had to play the game in such a detailed way before. He needs someone to pretend to be Devlin so that he can convince Palmer everything is good between them. The only person he knows that can actually play the role is Catherine and she knows all about his wedding ring game and of course she's not going to expect anything in return because they're friends. 
Catherine isn't quite so easy to convince. She can't believe that he's trying to persuade her to be his fake ex-wife-to-be. Enter cliche number two. She spends her days wearing her hair in a messy updo, wearing glasses and minimal, if any, makeup. Her clothes are also incredibly unflattering, but then she is a mother of two children and she works in a white coat for most of the day, so what does it matter what she wears beneath? You just know, though, that the moment she gets her hair done and starts to wear contacts, she's going to be stunning. Because she's the makeover girl. Of course, we get the makeover montage because once Catherine agrees, she has to become Devlin, the bitch soon-to-be ex-wife who cheated on Danny and makes his life miserable. In exchange for agreeing to be Devlin, Catherine gets a pretty good deal. A few pairs of $1,700 shoes, matching accessories, and we get a trip through multiple Beverly Hill boutique doors, Tiffany's, Barney's New York on Wilshire, and several other designer stores to bulk up her tough-as-nails gorgeous wardrobe. Palmer and Danny are at an elegant bar waiting for Devlin to show up, and Danny is nothing if not stunned when she does, wearing a beautiful bodycon white dress, the shoes that cost $1,700 that nobody would fail to admire, even me, and I don't like high-heeled shoes, and the hairdresser she visited clearly loves extensions. You can see where Maggie got her desire to act from, the moment Catherine walks through those doors. This is an awkward and uncomfortable conversation. Catherine as Devlin is dismissive, patronising and everything that Danny said she was. So she's actually perfect. The act goes really well and it seems to be flowing until the very end of the evening when Catherine gets a phone call from Michael who's upset because Maggie keeps on selling his stuff on eBay. This cues a lecture from her right in front of the woman that, until this point, believed that Danny and Devlin were about to divorce and there was nothing to keep them together. But of course, now kids are being unwittingly brought into the conversation. It appears that Palmer is happy at this revelation, though, as she loves kids and she really wants to meet them. Without even bothering to ask Catherine, so totally out of order, Danny takes Maggie and Michael to a pizza place. He asks them if they want to be his pretend kids. However, it seems that in this moment, Danny is the one on the back foot, because Catherine tells her kids far more than she probably should, including the fact that he uses a wedding ring to spend time with women. Right now, however, I am hoping that they don't know the more salacious details, because that would be more than a little bit inappropriate. Maggie is no different from her mum, though that English accent really begins to grate. More than a little bit. She's a tough negotiator and wants $600 for the day and also for Danny to pay for acting camp. Michael wants him to take him to Hawaii to swim with dolphins and that is the only thing he wants, though Danny does manage to negotiate him down to a PlayStation. <laughs> Understandably, Catherine is furious that Danny actually considered bringing her children into this whole mess. And I'm not sure if this is meant to be a distraction tool that, so that she changes the subject, but Danny realises that she's wearing perfume to the office, something that she doesn't usually do. 
she tells him that she's having lunch with an office manager from another practice that day and wants to make a bit of an effort. This is the first indication that the relationship between Danny and Catherine has potential to be more than it actually is right at this moment because Danny is persistent in his teasing as though he's jealous. Finally, he manages to persuade Catherine that it's not a dreadful idea to get the kids involved. And then, as is the way with pretty much every rom-com ever, time slips by without any meaning. And it could be the next day, or a few days later, or even later than that, but the entire gang gather together at Adult Hell to introduce the kids to Palmer. Of course, despite having been asked not to, Maggie does that awful and somewhat insulting British accent. They could easily say that she's a wannabe actress rehearsing for a role in something, but instead Danny and Catherine make up some ridiculous British boarding school tale instead. If that's the case, why is she the only one that went to to England? Why didn't Michael go as well? Oh, I forgot to mention that... In this, Maggie's name is Kiki D, and for some reason, Michael is Bart. I am not sure how they keep this straight. I'm just going to call them the names that they have at the beginning of the film, because otherwise it's going to get way too confusing. Maggie plays it for all that she's worth, heartbreak, devastation, insulting Palmer for being the cause of her parents' split, despite not being her parents and not being the cause at all. And Michael is just focused on gaming tokens. Michael's not stupid. Palmer asks him how he feels and he tells her that he's not upset that they're dating because she seems to make him happy. But he is upset that his dad broke his promise to him to take him to swim with dolphins in Hawaii. Danny is forced to backtrack because Palmer makes him feel guilty and changes all his plans in an effort to prove to her that he is a dad who cares about his kids. Michael is actually going to get his wish. They're going to Hawaii. Next thing you know, they're all sitting at LAX waiting for a flight. Palmer is standing with them holding a copy of Seventeen that she purchased for herself as it's her favourite magazine, just as In Sync is her favourite group and she was sad when they broke up. And then his cousin Eddie shows up using an awful pseudo-Austrian-German accent. It turns out he's pretending to be Dolph Lundgren, the man that Devlin cheated on Danny with. Thick glasses, waistcoat, pipe. I honestly can say I don't remember seeing anyone in Austria wearing anything like this, except for on national days when I lived there. But then maybe I just didn't travel around enough and I missed out. Actually, did I miss out because this costume was ridiculous? No, I I didn't miss out. Catherine is not impressed. But it turns out that Eddie sent a picture of his junk to his ex, forgetting that she's now getting married to a UFC fighter. So he's in need of escape. And this holiday, at his cousin's expense, is exactly what the doctor ordered to prevent him from ending up in hospital. The hotel, when they arrive, is stunning. The trip was so much on impulse that they didn't book hotel rooms, so now the only thing available is sweets or nothing at the Waldorf Astoria. And with prices like that, we're talking nine and $12,000 per night, who needs to eat? 
Obviously, plastic surgeons make a heck of a lot of money because Danny puts everything on his cards. Classic scene. Palmer walking out of the ocean in a tight, skimpy yellow bikini. Oh, where have we seen that before? Uh, the other woman? Numerous James Bond films? Yeah, I'm sure that's been used in multiple movies across the years. And this one is another. Danny is actually contemplating getting an engagement ring. But Eddie is doubtful that he should be making this type of commitment so soon. However, it's up to Danny, but he still needs to get everything across to Palmer that he is a good dad and a good safe bet because she is not going to be taking any risks. Eddie tells Palmer that he, Dolph, is a sheep expert and he met Devlin when she bought a sheep from him as apparently she has a wool fetish. So poor Catherine is not faring very well when it comes to the tales. She's cruel, doesn't listen, domineering, bossy, and she has a wool fetish. Yeah, and she signed up for this. Okay. It seems like such an irrelevant thing right now, but it is going to be important later on, as everything is foreshadowing anyone. Catherine's having a go at Danny when she hears her name called from an exclusive tent on the beach. It turns out it's Devlin Adams, her college nemesis, and the source of her own fake name, and the name of her children's crap. She starts off by telling Catherine that she never expected to see her at a place like this, and then introduces her husband Ian, who apparently invented the iPod, though I'm sure that was someone working at Apple, but I could be wrong. She tells Catherine that she bumped into an ex-sorority sister who was divorced with a child and it was awful. So Catherine pulls Danny into her own mini-con. A double con. She's married to Danny happily with two kids while he is divorcing Catherine in her role as Devlin. Danny is very much a man who likes to sleep in when he gets the opportunity, so he's less than happy when Palmer wakes him early the next morning because she signed everyone up for an all-day adventure tour. Perfect for the man who doesn't like doing any exercise. Beautiful scenery, I have to admit. The Hawaiian Islands are stunning, but I would rather sit back and take photos of it than kayak, climb and walk because I'm kind of with Danny on this one. It turns out that Michael, who is the one who wants to swim with dolphins, can't actually swim. His real dad was meant to teach him, but was always too busy. After Palmer strips down to her bikini and dives into the pool at the base of the waterfall they reach after all that walking, both men are not expecting Catherine to join her, so they are more than a little surprised when she takes off her outer layers and is equally as stunning in her own bikini. Though I'm not sure why they expected anything else when they've seen her in so many clingy dresses over the last few weeks, days or however long it's been since he met Palmer. Unintentionally, things open up and during a game, Michael says the one thing that makes him sad is that his dad doesn't have time to spend with him. Though he's actually talking about his real dad. However, to Palmer, this makes Danny look bad. The next day, Danny gets to spend time with the kids. 
He thinks that showing Palmer he's a great dad using photos will be the best course of action after the previous evening. Luckily for everyone, Danny realises that this isn't fun for any of them. So plans change and they decide to teach Michael how to swim. The swimming lesson moment is actually a combination of disturbing and sweet. Their grandfather, that is Danny and Eddie's, was a most unsettling character of even half of their tales or anything to go by. Meanwhile, Palmer and Catherine are getting to know each other while enjoying a spa day. It's at this point that Catherine starts to realise how well she knows Danny. And Palmer also realises the same thing. Is it going to set any doubts in motion? Palmer and Catherine arrive at the pool just as Michael is swimming the last few feet. Things are going really well and then Devlin arrives in time to put the kibosh on their little deception. Devlin showed up to ask Catherine and Danny to go to dinner with her and her husband Ian that evening. That afternoon, Palmer mentions that the whole thing with Dolph at the pool, where he threw her in and then sat on her so that she was submerged while the whole conversation with Devlin and Catherine took place, was weird. Really? Weird? Are you sure? Someone trying to drown you is weird? Weird? Okay, just weird, I'd say troublesome. Anyway. Danny isn't happy that Catherine is essentially blackmailing him into joining her on a meal with Devlin and her husband. Though, is that really any different to what Danny has done to her? It's a momentary deception to protect his friend from humiliation. He needs to figure out how to get away with going for the meal when he's already committed to spending the evening with Palmer. Then Catherine has an idea and gets Eddie to invite Palmer for dinner to make up for the fact that he nearly drowned her. Here things are going to get just a tiny bit confusing as the scenes switch rapidly between the meal in the flashy restaurant and the dinner that Dolph and Palmer are having with the sole purpose of keeping her out of the way so that Danny can play Let's Pretend We're Happily Married with Catherine. Yeah, and that's not convoluted at all. That evening, dinner with Devlin and Ian is unbearable. They are sickly sweet and so fake. They have zero class. And I have to ask one question. Why did Nicole Kidman take this role? She won an Oscar. Not for this. Obviously, for the hours, a few years beforehand. It's odd, but Danny and Catherine have so much chemistry. However, that is possibly to do with the fact they have a very long relationship and they know a lot about each other. Meanwhile, Dolph or Eddie and Palmer are at an out-of-the-way restaurant that looks like it's the sort of place someone would find a body in an episode of CSI Miami when someone calls for help because their sheep is sick. Of course, Eddie's lie about selling sheep was bound to get him in the end. The sheep is clearly animatronic, however, but I do get the feeling at some point it might get messy. I'm not sure. I'm hoping not. Random question here. We're back at the expensive restaurant, by the way. What is with the box of water glasses submerged in water on every table in this flashy restaurant? Is it some kind of weird get-your-own-water thing? Or is it just decoration? I don't know, but it just seems out of place. On a, a square 
in the middle of a round table, but maybe that's just me. On Devlin's prompting, Catherine starts to tell Danny what she likes about him. And of course, this means we need the soppy background swell of music as she reveals what is actually the truth. Danny then has to reciprocate and he too ends up getting sincere. As the audience, you can see that he is starting to realise she is the only person he actually trusts with his secrets and shares them all with. Meanwhile, at the other restaurant, Eddie is doing the Heimlich on a sheep and all of a sudden the animatronic one is real. At the hotel, there is a hula competition. Devlin is so competitive that she has to win everything and in order to do that, she has to take part. But then Devlin makes a huge mistake, goading Catherine, who has already been pushed to the limits with Devlin and her behaviour. And the entire weekend, to be fair, I mean, that's going to try anyone. Of course, the whole thing predictably ends up being a standoff between Devlin and Catherine, and the dance ends in a tie. But Devlin is not having that, and they end up having to perform a tiebreaker using a coconut. Catherine and Danny are working really well together, while Devlin and Ian just can't seem to work anything out. They had fun. They weren't telling any lies or faking anything, even though they were faking everything. For some reason, Danny is strangely obsessed with Catherine's dating life, but it turns out that it wasn't a date that she was having that day in the practice. The other office manager was simply trying to poach her for a different job based in New York. However, the teasing is somewhat serious, and for a moment it looks as though they are actually going to kiss. They get closer, it's intense, and with hushed voices they move nearer, and then the door opens and the kids interrupt. When the time comes for the evening to be over, it's awkward, as though they both realise that there is more there they should explore, but they're both hesitant. As he's contemplating going back to see Catherine, the elevator doors open and Palmer and Eddie are back. It seems that Eddie has been talking and Palmer proposes that they don't bother with a long engagement or even getting a ring. They should just get married the next day. Catherine had the same thought as Danny and it's clear she's hurt when she sees Palmer and Danny so close together with the younger woman overjoyed at the prospect of the wedding happening the next day. I have to say, until this point, the music hadn't really caught my attention. But as some are sleeping while others struggle, we get an interesting combination, a really good mix of Every Breath You Take by The Police and Chasing Cars by Snow Patrol. Two songs that I actually really love as separate tracks work strangely well together. When Palmer finally goes to sleep, Danny sneaks out and calls Catherine. It turns out that Palmer wants the wedding to be all elopey and romantic, and Danny is hesitant as he's not sure he wants to marry her at all. He's finally realised that what he wants is actually Catherine. Meanwhile, Catherine has decided to take up the offer that she was given of a job in New York. She needs a fresh start. And you just know it's because she's in pain because Danny is getting married. This actually ends up being a turning point for Danny, the moment when he realises that his life is a pretty empty one. 
Palmer is arranging her wedding with the hotel concierge when she sees Catherine and asks if she still wants to be with Danny. At the same time, she says that she thinks he might still be in love with her. But when Catherine denies anything and tells her that she thinks the wedding plans are amazing, Palmer takes that as acceptance. Does she not get layered messages or something? Or am I personally reading too much into it? The two women are hugging when Catherine sees Danny laughing and joking with her kids in a hotel shop. And of course, it drives her to drink. Who wouldn't? She's alone at the bar when Devlin shows up. The woman is much more muted than she was the previous evening, and for some reason this leads them both to open up to each other. Catherine admits that she lied about Danny, that she's a divorced single mother of two, and she's broke, and she thinks that she's in love with Danny. Devlin admits that she and Ian are breaking up. He's gay, and he made his money after suing the Dodgers when he got hit with a foul ball. Both women bond over the truth, which is really weird. Well, it's not weird, but it is, given how much animosity there was between them, even though they hadn't seen each other for probably more than a decade. It turns out that Danny heard when Catherine admitted that she might be in love with him. He tells her that he realised, as he was about to get married, that he wanted to start his life with the one he loved, and she wasn't on the clifftop with him, so he couldn't do it. Finally, sitting at the bar, having told the truth, they kiss. Michael gets to swim with dolphins, Palmer meets Andy Roddick on the plane, and Danny and Catherine make their vows at a massive white wedding. And they all live happily ever after. There was no new episode of The Bookshop this week. However, in case you haven't checked any podcatchers in a while, I visited a dystopian future for the most recent episode of The Bookshop as I talked about the first book in the new adult Four Horsemen series by Laura Thalassa, Pestilence. It's available for download now. There are some classic humour moments, such as with the patient who had bad facial surgery and both... Catherine and Danny are trying not to laugh as her eyebrow just bounces back on her face. Though Just Go With It actually had double the budget of Along Came Polly, because of the higher budget, it didn't make that much more of a profit. The budget was $80 million, and globally it made an impressive but not incredible $215 million. That being said, it did make a tidy $30 million in its first weekend, beating out Justin Bieber, Never Say Never, and Nomeo and Juliet for the top spot on Valentine's Weekend 2011. I never realised this before, but when I was doing my research, I discovered that the film was inspired by one that I really enjoyed, a film that came out in 1969, Cactus Flower. This is the film which Goldie Hawn won an Oscar and a Golden Globe for. In all honesty, I'd recommend that one over this, but then I think that there was something so charming about that era of film that it was always going to be my preferred choice if I had to make one. Though this was another box office success for everyone involved, a generous box office success, it was unable to garner critic support. It's a definite Rotten Tomato with just 19% on the site with 139 critic reviews. That's pretty rotten, 
And very few of the reviews have anything positive to say. Though, this one from J.R. Jones at the Chicago Readers was probably one of the kindest. Jennifer Aniston has starred in so many lame romantic comedies that she's become an industry punchline. But drop her into an Adam Sandler movie and she comes off like Catherine Hepburn. Sandler is a cosmetic surgeon who's always posed as a married man to attract women. After meeting the blonde hottie of his dreams, he persuades Aniston, his office manager, to pose as his wife so he can persuasively divorce her. The story originated as a French play and was later turned into Cactus Flower, a Hollywood film scripted by Billy Wilder's partner in crime, IAL Diamond. Watching Aniston's sharp verbal timing, you wonder if this might have been a great comedy without Sandler and his Botox gags. Nicole Kidman has a supporting comic role as the office manager's frenemy from college. Another reason to keep up the ruse. And Kidman's frenetic performance makes you appreciate Aniston's deft touch even more. Over on IMDb, there's a bit more of a mix, with a considerable number of really positive reviews, which is nice to see given how bad the negative ones have been. Though there are a few that give the film just one star, including... Forget it. This terrible remake of IAL Diamond's work on Cactus Flower back in 1969, itself based on an excellent stage play, was difficult to sit through. Too long, too unfunny and too formulaic. Relying on sight gags and stale jokes cannot save a bad film, much less a screenplay that probably required very little effort on the part of the writers. Of late, much of what's coming out of Hollywood reeks of paranoia. When one is afraid to take a risk, in the genre of romantic comedies, remake something that was successful years ago. This travesty is indicative of such a mentality. Also, when will Jennifer A. wake up and stop getting herself involved in films that will do little for her career? Save your money and rent Cactus Flower. Trust me, you'll be happy you did. I am not saying that this film is dreadful. It has some great moments, some really funny moments. I laugh whenever I think of the poor patient with the eyebrow, played incredibly well by Rachel Dratch. That having been said, the film was nearly two hours long, and for me, that's about 30 minutes too many. The film could have been much tighter, certain elements of the plot cut as they were unnecessary, and we'd have had a film that I could watch with a drink on a Saturday evening without getting fidgety. Because... By the time the last slow 30 minutes came around, I just wanted it to be over. Have you been wanting a movie fix? Perhaps you want to listen to two women in the know talking about new releases and cult classics. If so, you've come to the right place. Give this a listen. Hi, I'm Harry. And I'm Lorraine, and we're Show Me The Podcast. Back in 2017, I said to Lorraine, should we start a podcast? And she said, all right. (laughs) We're two chalk and cheese best mates who discuss all things film and TV in a never-ending quest to try and agree on something with beer or wine. As we have nothing in common, the only sensible thing to do was to start a podcast and see could our friendship grow. So if you want to have a listen to us, you can find us on all your available platforms. See you soon. See you soon. Oh, God. <laughs>
We've come to the question and answer part of the episode. Let me know if there are any questions you would like to hear me answer about the films I watch or if there's something you'd love to hear me cover. So, here goes. Did I enjoy it? Yes. Though, as I have already mentioned, I do think that it would have been a much better film had it been around the 90-minute mark. Being just shy of two hours made it far too long for a rom-com with little substance. I also think that the original film inspired by the French play was much better. So I would definitely recommend you give Cactus Flower a try. That film has an amazing cast. Walter Matthau, Goldie Horn, and Ingrid Bergman. Superb just doesn't cover it. In the UK, Just Go With It is currently available on Netflix. Would I watch it again? I have watched this a few times in the years since it was released, but it's another one I hadn't seen for a while and I don't watch it regularly, even though it's always on one streaming service or another. Seriously, if it's not on Amazon, it's on Netflix and vice versa. Despite this, I would probably watch it again if someone said, hey, I love this, let's put it on, because I don't hate it. I just don't think it's as good as many other films that fit into this genre. So, how are things in the coffee household this week? It's been an interesting week, to be honest. This weekend was really good fun. Lorraine from the fantastic Once Upon a Nightmare podcast came down for a visit and we recorded an episode for her show, which was released on Tuesday. You should go listen because Shaun of the Dead is an amazing film, though we couldn't decide what genre actually belonged in and an episode for mine that will be airing in a few weeks. I also had my COVID booster. That was not so much in the way of sunshine and roses. I started off feeling absolutely fine, had a bit of a bruised arm that got worse over the afternoon and evening. However, come Sunday lunchtime, I felt like I had full-blown flu. I could barely move, ached everywhere, had a headache, sore throat, even my eyes hurt. And then I developed a lump under my arm. Apparently it's normal. I am going to stress here that I never had any side effects close to this when I had the first two jabs and any side effects I had are really rare but obviously I was the unlucky one this time around. My mum had her booster on the same day and she was absolutely fine. So if you're wondering that's why I didn't release an episode of the bookshop on Monday. I wasn't having a mental break. I was physically unwell. Hopefully next time around as I'm sure there will be one I will be absolutely fine. One thing that did make me anxious about the whole jab thing was not the injection itself. Seriously, that was barely a pinprick. It was the waiting afterwards. Because I, like pretty much everyone else, had to have a different vaccine this time around, I had to wait for 15 minutes afterwards to ensure that I didn't have any serious adverse reaction. I wasn't aware of this before I went in or I would have taken a book or my phone with me. So this left me sitting in a chair in a room for 15 minutes, watching as the seconds slowly ticked by on a clock above a TV that wasn't working. It was mind-numbing. And I am saying this as someone who struggles to sit still and do nothing for any length of time. By the end of the 15 minutes, my head was full of a buzzing sound, and I got out of there so quickly there may well be marks on the floor from my trainers. Stupid thing is that If I have something to focus on, I can sit still and work on it for hours. 
forgetting everything else. I've done this so many times and you will see that when my new website launches next week or you at least you'll see the work that I can do when I sit down and focus for hours without getting up, taking a break or even going to get a drink because that's what happened because that's how my brain works and always has done. Surprisingly, even with all of that going on, I was okay, despite the tiny crack when I had to sit and do nothing. I did feel a tiny bit anxious on Sunday night when I went to bed, as I always worry when I'm unwell. What if I can't work? What happens if I have to take a day off sick? I really hate that my old job made me so anxious about being unwell that the fear of potential punishment is still there. I feel really weird saying this next bit despite the fact that my medication has given me an upset stomach every day for the last two weeks it's doing its job I still feel anxious but that is never going to go away all I can do and all anyone can do is work through all the things that make me feel this way and just acknowledge the fact that they will always be there I just need workarounds so that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the listen and I'll be back next week for more. Don't forget, the bookshop will be open again on Monday with a brand new review and I hope you'll like what I have to say about the next book. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a review or give me a star rating over on Podchaser. I love reading what you have to say. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs on Instagram at Not Before Coffee Podcast, or over on Good Pods where I have set up an account at Not Before Coffee. Well, I need another drink as I definitely haven't had enough and my mouth is feeling a little bit dry. So I'm going to go and put the kettle on. Until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.